0: Welcome to Dayspring Fellowship. Whether you are in the room live, watching live online, later on demand, or listening to our podcast, our prayer is for you to experience the life-changing power of God in your life today. I'm Chris Voigt, and I lead the team here at Dayspring. That team is made up of people committed to helping you grow. People grow here because our team loves to challenge, encourage, and equip people to become more like Jesus. If this is your first time visiting Dayspring, we want you to know that this is the kind of church where you get to be you. We're just like you, imperfect people on a journey. We're allowing Jesus to make something beautiful out of our broken and often messy lives. Learning to live like him, a little more today than yesterday, a little more tomorrow than today. Even if you aren't sure that you're ready to be on that journey with us, maybe you are skeptical about the claims of Jesus or skeptical of his followers. This is still a great place, a safe place to explore and ask questions as you look for answers. We're asking those same questions and looking for answers too. So I think we can be pretty good company on your journey. So welcome. You can learn more about us as a church by exploring our website at dsf.church, by checking out our Facebook page or contacting us by phone or email. If you need help figuring out the next step to making Dayspring your home church, or if you just have questions, let us know we'll help you find the answers. For today's service, you can find a discussion guide by selecting watch from the top menu of our website. And now, let's join our service. Well, before you get comfortable enough to nod off, uh, as we've been doing each week, if you're here in the room with me, please stand. Come on up. Those of you watching online now or later on demand, use your good judgment. Uh, let's just get our heads into the rhythm of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Great job. Please be seated. If you are one of our guests this morning, you've joined us in a series we've called Beautiful Surrender, the blessing of a Psalm 23 life. This psalm, a song of the poet King David, is surely one of the most well-known psalms in the world. Most well-known and least understood. Most well-known because these words are, are so often used to provide comfort at funerals. In the old King James, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me has got to be the most famous verse in the Bible. But least understood. Because for David, these words weren't a funeral song. They were used actually, they actually described the blessing he experienced as a surrendered servant of God Almighty. A blessing available to us as well when we live our lives in surrender to the plans and purposes of God. It's the kind of blessing that any of us would want I mean, who wants to live a life without blessing? As we've as we've learned so far, everything pivots around the first sentence. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. I lack nothing. I am content. There's no need to worry about anything, no need to fear anything or anyone. I don't have to strive or try to make things happen. My life is in the hands of my good shepherd, so I am content. That is the blessing, a connected contentment, because I am abiding in Jesus, I am actively and intentionally becoming more like Jesus every day, learning to love like Jesus in every circumstance, learning to trust Jesus in every scenario. I am surrendering, and that keeps me connected to his heart and power. And that connectedness leaves me content to let him take the lead in my life. I am content with what he is doing in me. At the pace he is doing it. I am content with what he is doing through me as he deploys my gifts and talents for his glory and I am content with what he is doing around me in my circumstances and in the people I love. Of course that last one can be pretty challenging for us. Have you ever thought or prayed that God would work on something else in your spouse? or your boss or your kids, I won't ask you to raise your hands. I don't want to get anyone in trouble. Most of the time, we, we can be honest here, it's just you and me. Uh, most of the time, isn't it something that would benefit you? Uh, maybe make your life easier? We can dress it up any way we like, but when you drill down into it, it will benefit you. Oh God, in the name of Jesus, give my husband the heart to do the dishes without me asking him. Amen. But in my surrender, I am content with what he is doing, the way he is doing it, at the pace he is doing it, in the ones I love. In the ones I love. I trust his work as m- in their lives just as much as I trust his work in mine. All of that is communicated in just that first sentence. Everything else that follows unpacks what that blessing looks like in the rhythms of everyday life. Since the Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need because he has met all of my spiritual, emotional, physical, and relational needs. I am satisfied. I can rest because he watches over me. I am at peace, not only in my circumstances, but also in my relationship with my shepherd. I have hope and a future for he restores me in his presence and leads me on paths that will make me more and more like Jesus. That, in a nutshell, is what it means to walk in the blessing of having everything you need. So far, we'll discover more as we move into verse four today. But here's the flip side of this blessing. The absence of these evidences of contentment spotlights a crack in our surrender. For example, our Good Shepherd always leads us to rest, to margin in our lives that will allow us to rest. We weren't designed to live life moving hundred miles an hour, 24 hours a day. So if we are experiencing a prolonged season without rest, and I say it that way because we all have different rhythms in our lives, some seasons require more of us than others. Christmas and Easter require more of me than summer, for example. We all have rhythms like that. The end of August into September requires more from teachers. Tax season requires more from accountants. January through December requires more from young moms. You get the point. We all have rhythms in our lives, but a prolonged or a pattern without rest is an indicator to check your surrender level. Why are you without rest? If the blessing of surrender includes rest, then the lack of it points to something going on in our lives. If the blessing of surrender includes peace, and I don't have peace, the lack of peace is actually a gift from God, because it points me to a crack in my surrender. The lack of hope points me to a surrender issue. That's the flip side of this blessing. If I can't truly say the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything that I need and mean it, then I'm, then I'm still blessed. Because through uh, my, though my area of dis- discontentment through that, God is pointing me to the next step in my process of surrender. And that brings us finally to verse four. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. For you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. Now this is one verse that I actually prefer the older translation. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It feels more descriptive of what dark valleys feel like when you're you're in them. Uh, We've all been in valleys. Some of us are in valleys right this moment. Some of us are in health valleys, working through things like cancer or seizures, diabetes, gastro junk, and the like. Some of us are in emotional valleys, grieving, lonely, stressed out, and anxious about everything and nothing. Some of us are in financial valleys, feeling like we'll never catch up or get ahead. Some of us are experiencing challenges at work or at home. We've got relational issues with our spouses, our kids, our parents. Some of us are in valleys caused by addictions to things that we can't seem to break free from. We all know what valleys are and we do everything we can to avoid them or escape them or get through them as fast as we can. Nobody likes valleys, am I right? Of course not, nobody likes valleys. Valleys are hard and we don't like hard. I don't know about you. Well, I do. We prefer mountaintop experiences to valleys. There is so much truth in this one verse. But I want to start with this. This is so important to understanding valleys. Look at this from a bird's eye view. If this psalm is about the blessing of surrender, note that Even fully surrendered Christ followers experience valleys. Let that sink in. Even the most godly followers of Christ go through valleys. This is great news for those of us who are still on the path toward full surrender. It's great news because it means that just because you're in a valley doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you. Or that you've done something wrong. Or that God is punishing you that's what satan wants you to believe he wants to undermine your trust in your good shepherd he wants you to doubt god's goodness he wants you to doubt that god is for you and not against you and valleys are prime locations for doubt to take root but everyone goes through valleys everyone Sure, sometimes we get into valleys of our own making as a consequence of our sin or bad choices, but even then, if we really believe that our good shepherd is leading us on a path of ever-increasing righteousness, which is how we ended verse three, if all of that is true, then your good shepherd has led you into the valley intentionally. There is purpose for your valley. The blessing of a surrendered life isn't a life without valleys, it is God's presence in your valleys. So if we, if we jump back to David for a moment, as we, as we began to see last week, this psalm is unpacking the blessing of contentment in every season of life. From green pastures to well-trodden paths, from dark valleys to alpine tablelands, before returning home to winter, for winter. Year after year, David led his sheep on this same circuit, which makes it likely that the valley of the shadow of death that David writes about was an actual place, uh, leading scholars to speculate that the Wadi Celt was the specific valley David had in mind. The words themselves mean deep valley or ravine. There are many can- canyons in it, some of them very steep. It is riddled with caves, maybe even some of the caves David would hide in later in life. And it is rimmed by narrow trails. It was also crawling with thieves and predators. The Wadi Celt is near Bethlehem, and David likely led his sheep through it many times. During the winter and early spring, he would take his sheep down to the pasture lands of the Jordan Valley. The city of Jericho sits at the eastern end of the Wadi Kelt and is a well-watered desert oasis in the winter and spring. Today, there is a modern freeway between Jerusalem and Jericho. But in ancient times, the only road to Jerusalem was through the Wadi Kelt. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus tells the story of a traveler that begins like this. Uh, Jesus says, a man, a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up and left him half dead beside the road. Today, most of us know this story as the parable of the Good Samaritan. As Jesus told this story, every person listening would would have known exactly what road Jesus was referring to the Wadi Kelt. This man's plight wouldn't have been that unusual for one walking alone through the valley during this time. It had come to be known as the way of blood or bloody pass because of the danger from thieves and wild animals. It was a path Jesus himself walked. Matthew 18 tells us that when Jesus finished his ministry in the northern region of Galilee, he headed for Jerusalem. And then in Matthew chapter 20, he lets his disciples in on what's going to occur. Uh, Matthew writes, as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, He took the 12 disciples aside privately and told them what was going to happen to him. Listen, he said, we're going up to Jerusalem where the son of man will be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. They will sentence him to die. Then they will hand him over to the Romans to be mocked, flogged with a whip and crucified. But on the third day, he will be raised from the dead. And then if we skip down to verse 29, Matthew says, As Jesus and the disciples left the town of Jericho, a large crowd followed behind. They left Jericho and stepped into the Wadi Kelt for the last time. Jesus walked the Wadi Kelt with the knowing what he was walking toward. Walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Our good shepherd, Doesn't lead us anywhere, he hasn't already gone before us. He traveled this path to the cross. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, yes, even here, just as in green pastures, wherever we are on our journey, as hard as it might get, we are on the right path when we allow him to lead us. We're sheep. On the move from one level of righteousness to the next. Here's the thing to remember though. Valleys are through ways. David doesn't say we walk in the valley. He says we walk through the valley. It's a valley, which means it has an opening on both ends. Even in this psalm, this verse is in the middle of two ends. There is more to come you will get through it. And you won't be alone. Now notice how David's language changes in this verse. Up to this point, he's described the good shepherd in third person. He lets me rest. He leads me. He renews. But here it changes. I will not be afraid for you are close beside me. It is in the most difficult times of our lives... Of our relationship with, that our relationship with Jesus becomes personal. Because it is in those times, perhaps even more than others, that our need for his presence filters out all of the distractions that fill up the space when life is good. It is only when he becomes personal to us that we can experience our Good Shepherd's compassionate witness Not witness, but withness. A witness is an observer of what is happening, in this case, to you. But a witness is someone who gets down and dirty with you as you go through it. Jesus is attuned to us. That is, he resonates with us. He understands and he shares those feelings from personal experience because he's been through it himself. His calm strength models for you what it looks like and feels like to walk successfully through the valley, emerging on the other side with a strength that has become your own. As author and counselor Andy Kolber writes, the strength to move through pain, harm, and trauma is found in connection with and ultimately safety with God, ourselves, others, and creation. When we really know this, it allows us to move toward a deep integrated faith, a a deep integrated strength. When we feel connected, we have the support to be most fully ourselves. You know, in more more charismatic churches, you might hear someone say, can I get a witness? I don't want a witness. I want a witness. I don't want someone to watch me suffer. I want them to suffer with me. His presence with us gives us the confidence to know without a doubt that everything is going to, as Paul would write many years later, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes for him. God's got this. There's a plan and a purpose that I may not understand, but this valley is part of God's best plan for my journey to become like Jesus. And besides, it could be worse. It could be harder. Think about it this way. As author Philip Keller notes, there is a reason why sheep are taken to the mountaintops by way of the valleys. Not only is this way the gentlest grades, but also is the well-watered route. Like we all want the mountaintop experience with God. I've been there, it's fan-freaking-tastic, but can you imagine having to scale the face of every mountain like an extreme rock climber? Give me the valley any day over that. Now, before we move on, we should probably note that David describes it as the darkest valley. King James says it is the valley of the shadow of death. In the original language, the phrase is talking about total blackness. The kind of blackness where you can't see your hand in front of your face. It is like Sheol, which is not the grave where your body resides in, but in Jewish tradition was the resting place of the soul. It must be passed through before coming out on the other side into resurrection. It is like Sheol, but it is not Sheol. It is a shadow. And just like no shadow has the power to hurt you, neither does the valley when your shepherd is leading you through it. David uh, ends this verse with, your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. Now, the rod and the staff are symbols of, a th- and of authority and discipline, two words that we don't really associate with the words protect and comfort. When I think of the rod, I am drawn back to my, my first memory, which was being beaten until I was black and blue by the board of education my step-grandmother wielded. My sin, as a three- or four-year-old, was not turning down the television when she told me to. No, we don't spank anymore. We time out. But that's not how most of us grew up. The rod evokes bad memories in many of our minds. But the rod and staff in the right hands do bring comfort. In the Bible times, shepherds carried both a rod and staff. The rod was a cudgel. A short, thick, heavy stick similar to what we might call a baton or mace. It was worn on the shepherd's belt, but was an extension of the shepherd's right arm. A shepherd would spend hours learning how to quickly and accurately throw the rod. It would be the primary weapon for the defense of both the shepherd and the sheep. He might use it to beat the brush to scare off snakes and other creatures that would, might harm the sheep. It would also be used to drive off coyotes, wolves, cougars, and other predators. David surely used his rod as he wrestled with the lion and the bear who endangered his flock. The rod was a symbol of his strength, power, and authority. The rod would also be used for the care and welfare of the sheep. For discipline, certainly, should uh, a shepherd see one of the sheep wandering off on its own or getting into a dangerous area, a well-aimed rod would send the animal scampering back to the safety of the herd. Uh, Shepherds also used the rod to help them count and examine sheep. Passing under the rod meant that a sheep had been counted and had been carefully looked over to make sure it was healthy. Their long wool can make a visual examination challenging. So the shepherd would use the rod to hold back the, the sections of the wool while his hand he ran his hand over the sheep's body to check for disease, wounds, or defects. Under the shepherd's rod, an examination looked intimately over every detail. And this is what David meant in Psalm 139 when he wrote, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and leads me, and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Let me pass under the rod. For us, the word of God is the rod in, in our shepherd's hand. It leads us, protects us, and examines us to ensure our health. And just as a physical shepherd's rod comforts the sheep, our rod brings us comfort as well. The staff was exactly like we think of a shepherd's crook. It was a long, lightweight pole with a curve or crook at the end. An instrument suited only to the shepherding of sheep. It is shaped to the unique needs of sheep and is used only for their benefit. It is a symbol of concern and compassion that a shepherd has for the sheep under his care. It is used for their comfort. A staff is carefully chosen, smooth and cut to fit the needs of each shepherd. It is used to draw the sheep together into an intimate relationship a shepherd will use the staff to lift a newborn lamb to its mother so that it will not be rejected by the mama sheep because it bears the odor of the shepherd's hands. A skillful shepherd can move swiftly among thousands of lamb-bearing ewes, lifting newborns with the staff, placing them by their mothers. And likewise, the staff is used to draw, to draw in timid sheep. Which might normally keep their distance from the shepherd, or used to help free a sheep when it gets tangled up in brambles or other bushes. Uh, With it, the shepherd guides sheep gently onto a new path, or through a gate, or along difficult paths. As Philip Keller writes, he does not use it to actually beat the beast. Rather, the tip of the long slender stick is laid gently against the animal's side and the pressure applied guides the sheep in the way the owner wants it to go. Sometimes the shepherd will lay the staff against a sheep for no other reason than to provide a connection with the sheep so they are in touch. The touch provides security and comfort for the sheep. And like the rod is a symbol of the word of God, the staff is a symbol of the spirit of God who is described as the comforter. He leads us hand in hand into all truth. He gently guides us along right paths. And when we find ourselves tangled in places we shouldn't be, he helps pull us to freedom with the tenderness and compassion of a shepherd. And that brings us to verse 5. But today, let's just tackle the first sentence. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. Our journey through this psalm has mirrored the annual journey of a shepherd and his sheep. We started in the lush green meadows of Judea in the spring, wound our way through the canyons and valleys, slowly working our way to the higher ground and cooler summer temperatures of the tablelands. King James translates this verse, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. David certainly had this connection in mind as he penned these words. Table lands, also known as alp lands, are fairly flat plateaus, ideal for summertime grazing, after a lot of preparation by the shepherd. Tablelands have to be converted into pastures. They are often remote areas that are hard to reach and they must be prepared. A process that can take years, even generations. A shepherd will often, early in the spring before all the snow is melted, make a preliminary survey trip. He'll look over it with great care, keeping his sheep in mind as he plans its best use. And then just before the sheep arrive, he will make another trip to walk the plateau, carefully inspecting the ground for gopher holes that need to be filled, rocks and trees that need to be removed, brush that needs to be burned, checking which areas need to be grazed lightly versus the ones that can be used more heavily and which are best for bedding down. He'll clear out the watering holes and open up the springs as he readies the land for his flock. Sheep are highly allergic to several plants like red maple leaves, azaleas, and milkweed. So the shepherd will root out any of those harmful weeds and either remove them or make his grazing plan accordingly. And of course, the more remote the the location from civilization, the greater the risk of predators looking for a tasty morsel to eat. A shepherd does all of this preparation because he knows his sheep. He knows that in some ways we're not all that different from sheep. We we feel like we need to check out every shiny object that comes our way. We taste this and sample that even knowing that some of those things aren't any good for us but we we want to give it a go anyway. The key idea of this verse is God's protection of his flock. Like David or any other good shepherd, he has gone before us preparing the way for us. And he is now on alert watching for danger. He went so far as to lay aside his divinity for a season so that he could walk the ground before us. He allowed himself to be tested and tempted. He was bruised and battered, rejected and scorned so that he would have firsthand knowledge of what dangers we face. Hebrews chapter four says that our good shepherd who is our high priest understands our weaknesses for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. But even even though he goes before us and has made every preparation for our safety and provision, that doesn't mean we won't encounter problems and challenges. Weeds grow back, storms rage, and predators can still attack. And though we here in the U.S. have a tendency to take for granted or minimize the presence of our enemy, he prowls about like a lion. He is not a lion. He just tries to act like one. He is the lowercase king of masquerading his evil as good. He is the great pretender and his work is insidiously weaving its way through our culture. He does his best work when he blurs the lines between safety and danger and gets us to dance at the edge of truth before devouring us for dinner. In Jewish thought, the table is like an altar, like the table for the showbread in the holy place of the temple. It was a meeting point with God. For the fully surrendered life, our Good Shepherd is giving us VIP treatment in front of our enemies. We enjoy the blessing of resting in his presence at our banquet while our enemies can only watch from afar. A foreshadowing of the contrasting destinies of the righteous and unrighteous. Now, as we wrap this up for today, we've explored the contrasting views of the valley and the mountaintop. I'm pretty sure all of us prefer mountains over valleys. I mean, who wouldn't? Valleys represent seasons of challenge, and mountains, seasons of blessing. We all prefer blessing over challenge. The only problem is we can't have mountains without valleys. It is valleys that prop up mountains. We would never appreciate the view from the mountain if we couldn't look back and see the beauty of what it took to get there. So, as we head to prayer, I'd like you to take a moment and think about your deepest, darkest valley. Some of you are in a valley right now. Don't think about this one. Pick another one. We've all walked through lots of valleys. They say that hindsight is 20-20. So as you look back at that valley from where you are today, can you see the times and places where your good shepherd has laid his staff on your side? as he guided you? Comforted you, protected you, changed you. That valley was the best plan God had to help you become more like Jesus. Would you really trade that path for another if it meant you wouldn't be the you you are today? I mean, think about it. You'd have to give up all of that good work He did in you on that leg of your journey. Many of you have heard my own story multiple times. It's a story of brokenness and abuse from a very early age. But from this side of the valley, looking down on the path to get to this tableland, I wouldn't change anything except any hurt I might have caused someone else on their journey. I am who I am today because of my valleys. And I like what God has done in me, is doing in me. Because my journey hasn't ended, there will be another valley. But God has already redeemed a bunch of junk that I never want back. What about you? So just take a moment as we go to prayer. us. Walk uh, willingly knowing that you have got, you've got it taken care of. That we can trust whatever our path looks like in your hands. Father, for, for those who are in valleys right this moment, We pray that you would meet them right where they are and remind them of your great love for them. Remind them that your goodness and your mercy guide and lead through the valley. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. Let me encourage you to download the discussion guide by selecting watch from the top menu of our website. Working through those questions on your own or with others will help the truth of God's word begin to shape your life as you grow to be like Jesus. Please reach out if you have any questions or want help on your spiritual journey. My email address is on the screen or you can call the church during the week. If you're just checking us out today, please know that we don't expect you to give anything to support Dayspring. We count it a privilege to play a small part in God's perfect work in you today. The people who call Dayspring their home church make this ministry possible. Their faithful giving is proof of God's work in their lives and they just want to pay it forward so you can experience the same life-changing presence of Jesus. For those of you who would like to start giving, we have three easy ways for you to get us your gift. Please see the online giving section of our website or text GIVE to the number on your screen or mail a check to us at the address you'll find on our website. Until we meet again, I am praying that God would give you opportunities to use your influence for the glory of his kingdom. One more thing, thank you for liking and sharing and following Dayspring on whatever platform you connect with us. Thank you for rating us where that is appropriate. Even more, thank you for sharing our services with your friends and family. If this service was a blessing to you, it'll probably be a blessing to someone else too. God uses you to plant seeds in other people's lives, so keep sowing.